0: On behalf of the crew, I ask that you please direct your attention to the monitors above as we review the emergency procedures. There are six emergency exits on this aircraft. Take a minute to locate the exit closest to you. Note that the nearest exit may be behind you. Uh, Call me crazy, but I do not miss hearing that or some version of it every week. I just looked, and the last time I was on an airplane was February the 24th, flying from Washington, D.C. to Toronto. Today is May 1st. Flying's been a required part of my job for the last 30 years or so, averaging about 120,000 air miles a year, so it's safe for me to say that the magic and allure of getting on yet another airplane has pretty much faded. You know the old expression that says that it's like hitting yourself in the head with a hammer because it feels so good when you stop? Well, I have a hammer I can loan you. I mean, here, take it. I'm not going to miss it. Of course, like everybody else, I'm now faced with the challenge of continuing to do my job without airplanes during a period when, thanks to the coronavirus pandemic, the economy has basically come to a glacial standstill. I'm incredibly lucky in that much of what I do, I can do virtually, and actually in my conversations with other people, it appears that many are discovering that we can all do a lot more virtually than we ever thought possible. Given that virtual may well be the new normal, as they say, I thought I'd share some thoughts, really observations more than thoughts, about doing business in this strange new virtual world. Now, I've spoken with quite a few people over the last few weeks using plain old voice on the phone to some of the more sophisticated collaboration tools that we're all becoming adept at using. From those conversations, I've teased out a couple of important points that I think are worth sharing. When this pandemic ends, and it will end, companies are going to kickstart things pretty quickly so that they can get back to the business of participating in an active economy. There's going to be a focus on primacy. Whoever gets to the market first wins. So here's my first observation. I have a friend who is a quasi-professional bicycle racer. I had a chat with her not too long ago. She lives up in Kelowna in British Columbia, and she told me something that I thought was pretty interesting. Professional bicycle riders don't wait until they crest the hill and start down the other side to pedal and start accelerating. She told me that the time to accelerate hard isn't on the downhill slope. It's as she approaches the crest of the hill, the most difficult part of the ride. That's what creates distance between her and the other racers, and that's what creates winners. So how does this apply to the world of competitive business? Well, right now, things are pretty much economically flat. There isn't much going on in a lot of companies. Conventional wisdom would say that we should hunker down, cut all of our spending, reduce the outflow of funds, and so on. But the really insightful companies that have been around for a while have learned to heed the lessons from people like my friend in Kelowna. When things are tough, when they're the hardest, that's when companies should be developing their people, focusing on their markets, communicating more than ever with their current and future customers. And by the way, not trying to sell, but rather publishing thought leadership and advisory information and freely distributing it to those same customers And doing everything in their power to be top of mind with those customers. This isn't the time to retreat or go idle. This is the time to advance and aggressively. Companies need to take steps right now to prepare for the end of this mess, to develop a deeper than ever before understanding of their customers' market so that they'll be the first in line to offer whatever it is those customers want, but more importantly, to ensure that they're the company those customers think of first when the time comes to start spending money again. This isn't the first time this has happened in recent history, by the way. Back in 2001, when the telecom bubble came crashing down and seven trillion dollars of market value just evaporated overnight, the industry went into a year-long period of economic nuclear winter. The organizations that came out healthy on the other side were those that accelerated their efforts at market, employee, customer, and organizational development when times were the hardest. In other words, pedal on the uphill. Okay, on to the next point. Do you know the word serendipity? It's one of my favorites. It means a happy accident or a fortunate coincidence. Well, serendipitously, just before the coronavirus pandemic kicked in, I was putting the finishing touches on a new book called Communicating the Right Way, with right spelled W-R-I-T-E. It's my 84th book. I know, as I've said so many times, a very bad habit, but strangely, it's the first book I've ever written about writing. I've written about photography and storytelling and a host of other topics, but never about writing. Weird. Now, personally, I write to learn, and for years, I've taught writing and communication workshops both privately and for many of my customers. Over the years, I've filled several big Moleskine notebooks with scads of notes for the book that I knew I'd eventually write about the subject of writing. Well, with the slowdown in travel that I've experienced over the last few weeks, I took on the task of transcribing all of those handwritten notes, a week at the keyboard, and I had a 188-page book just about ready to publish. But like all book projects, this one needed a sort of a catalyst to kick it off, to kind of get me started and get me off my butt and get it written. In this case, the catalyst was my collected observations about the generally poor quality of business writing that leaks out in front of the public. There are plenty of excuses for why it happens, but the bottom line is... There are no excuses, and here's why. I have a fundamental belief that what you write and then share is a big part of your personal brand and, by extension, the brand of your company. If your writing is sloppy, poorly edited, ponderous, difficult to follow, poorly or illogically ordered, inconclusive or weak, as so much business writing is today, the person who wrote it and the company they work for are going to be perceived as sloppy, poorly organized, ponderous, illogical, weak. You get my point. And this isn't my opinion. This is fact. As I transcribe my notes for the book, I found example after example of corporate writing that demonstrated all of those criteria that I just mentioned. Let me share a few examples with you. These are from very large North American companies. And to save a lot of embarrassment, I've changed the name of all the companies to ACME, so if you happen to know a company out there whose name is Acme, it's not them. Okay, here we go. Here's my first quote. All of us here at Acme is excited to work with you on the exciting new phase of the project. Okay, first of all, the, the, the excited part is redundant. But all of us is excited? Oh boy. Here's the second one. Let's all walk, W-O-K. Let's all walk together to make this happen little proofreading goes a long way. And my personal favorite on this list, here at Acme, we take the position that a simplistic approach will facilitate a more meaningful outcome for all concerned. We encourage all involved to help us create the synergies we need for true collaboration. So I'm glad you believe in the simplistic approach, but couldn't you have just said, let's work together to make this happen? See, we live in a world where it's easy to toss words onto a screen and then make them look pretty with zero effort. But the downside of easy is that proofreading doesn't happen, flow isn't checked, and key points aren't vetted. But boy, look at that beautiful font. We also live in a world where white papers, word docs, blogs, podcast scripts, instant messages, email, texts, social media posts, brochures, and a thousand other means of communication that start with a written word, are all equally capable of communicating poorly, either because people haven't learned any better or because the pace of our professional lives is such that other priorities supersede the quest for quality. And because of what I said earlier, that what you write is a representation of your personal and professional brand, nothing, and I mean nothing, should take precedence over quality. Here's another concern, and one that I think is actually even more important. In today's increasingly virtual world brought on by the corona pandemic, the need to communicate clearly and precisely across all of those modalities we just talked about has never been more important. It's one thing when we can sit across a table with a customer and have a conversation. We can tell when they're confused or not listening or fully engaged. Today though, we don't have that luxury, which means that the alternate methods for communicating have to be used with precision and great care. The trouble is, they're usually not. For example, organizations, especially those that live in or around the technology world, are jargon-rich environments which can be painful for customers who don't understand all those abbreviations and acronyms. It's like an exclusive club. If you don't know the lingo, you can't come in. Well, who wants to do that to a customer? Meanwhile, the companies that teach their people to avoid industry jargon and trendy phrases, what I call the empty calories of corporate communications, and that teach them to write clearly and crisply and accurately and to rely on their peers to proofread their work, those organizations stand head and shoulders above the crowd. In my new book, I address it this way. Good writers are accomplished serial killers. They go out of their way to destroy anything that weakens, cheapens, or sullies the quality and power of what they write. For example, they avoid overused words and phrases. When industry terms and corporate babble speak become the norm, they also become noise. They're meaningless, and they fade into the void of irrelevance. If you want to stand out in the crowd, if you want your writing to shine, there's a simple solution. Glow brighter than everything around you. Rise above the noise floor. In other words, don't sound like everybody else. So if during a bio break your core values resonate, ping me and we'll run it up the flagpole just before we put a pin in it. I'll loop you in after I deal with the elephant in the room. Meanwhile, you harness your core values by examining the key metrics of the ecosystem I'll pick your brain before we drill down to uncover the bleeding edge as a way to move the needle. If your writing sounds like this, I want you to stand in front of your bathroom mirror and slap yourself very hard three times, then do it again. Okay, that's all I've got. I guess my main messages here are that first, even in the best of times, clear and concise communications go a very long way. And now, in the age of Corona. It's even more important to be as clear as you possibly can. And second, use this time, this slowdown, to double down on customer impact, employee development, market presence, and all the other things that we often complained about not having enough time to do before COVID-19 came a-knocking. Think of this as a sabbatical for professional and personal development. I know I am. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much.